I get like we're pointing at him. And then I'm going on me. Okay. So guys, it's pretty awesome to actually have all of us here. Like, not there's some people online, uh, and then there's us physically, which is pretty cool. So well done, guys, for getting out of bed this morning for coming. That's like road troopers. Yeah. Who, who actually struggled to get up this morning? Because you know, church is half past nine, and you usually wake up at twenty-five past. Yeah. Okay. Everybody struggled to wake up this morning, especially Michaela. Because your, your arm was so stretched out, you were like, flip, can't believe it. I had to wrestle myself to get up this morning. Who has to wrestle themselves every time to get up in the morning? You work it before you're alone. That sucks. That is actually, that is like the worst thing in the world. Like waking up before you're enough. Uh, can you just make sure that this. The people online, they need to see my face. So maybe, Jared, maybe talk a little more. Just, just, that's your job. All right, guys, I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, hopefully, hopefully, the discussion was pretty helpful. Uh, like the point of that is not for you to get all the answers in those discussions. It's just to get your head into the text. Uh, sometimes when people preach, I don't know if you ever feel this, like you just, it, you don't exactly, it, it, you just find it hard to gel with the text straight from the beginning. So this was the, was the point of that, so that you feel like you actually have read the passage with yourself before I do the part. Right, I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's life-changing. Um, Father, I pray that you will work through me. I pray that you'll work in everybody listening. Um, I pray that I do not say words that are not from you and not from your word. Uh, I, that I pray that I speak your truth. I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, let me tell you a story. I used to work at a church where one of the members of the congregation um, had a severely autistic child. Uh, and the child screamed all the time. This person in the church was embarrassed about their child. So she locked him in a room and decided to never let him out. Eventually, people began to notice that the child wasn't around. And so they asked her questions. And she kept saying that her child was with his grandparents. Until one day, someone in the house heard him and managed to rescue the child and nearly starved to death. Now, what sickens me about this story is that this child was completely powerless. I mean, most children are powerless, right? But this child was severely autistic. He's more powerless than an innocent kid. And the mother let him suffer like this. In fact, when the pastor from the church told me about this story because he had to deal with it, thankfully, I didn't. I was 21 at the time, so I wouldn't have been able to kind of stomach this. But he said to me that this woman even showed any remorse or any guilt. In fact, while her child was locked away in this room, 
she would go out and party and socialize and leave him at heart in the room. It's sick, isn't it? It is just sick. Now, some people might look at this and say, can a good God exist if this kind of suffering happens in the world? It is sick, and there are so many stories that are like this. And it's a good question to ask, isn't it? Can, can there be a good God that exists if this kind of suffering is in the world? The problem is when things like that, when they go, there's so much suffering, there can't be a good God. Then they remove God from the equation, and what do they have? They have a world of suffering without God. Let me say that again so you get it. They now have a world of suffering there's no God. There's no one to stop that suffering. There's no one to make sense of that suffering. There's no one who can actually wield that suffering for good purpose. There's nothing. You just have a world of suffering and nothing to stop it. You need to realize something, Bible, and that is that suffering was never intended by God. He doesn't like it and he doesn't want it, but it's there. You guys know the story, Genesis 3 tells us that's, that's when evil and suffering entered. Humanity chose to rebel against God. You guys know the story, we shared it lots of times. God gave humanity a choice to either follow him or live under his leadership, or they could live under their own leadership. And they chose to live under their own leadership. And when they did that, God says, okay, I've given you choice, I'll let you have your choice. If he wasn't a good God, he would say, no, 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 I'm not going to let you have your choice. I'm going to keep you to myself and never give humanity a choice to follow him or not. Instead, he gives humanity a choice to follow him. But when they choose to go against him, what happens? A good God says, okay, I'll take a step back. And when a good God takes a step back, goodness leaves. And what enters? Evil and suffering. Now, thankfully, God hasn't left us in our evil and our suffering. He has still decided to do something, and he does two things. There's lots of things that he does, but there's two things that I want to mention here. One is the obvious one that we, most of us know, he senses Jesus. When Jesus dies on the cross, he takes the punishment that we deserve because we did heavily wrong. We went against the way God created the world. That's punishable, what we did. That's not just, that's not right. So God punishes Jesus in our place on the cross. And says, okay, now what you can do, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you can invite me back into your life. So when we choose Jesus, it's that good God starts to take a step back into our lives. And we don't fully realize it in this life, but one day when we're in heaven with Jesus, we'll be, he'll, he'll have a complete step back. And be perfectly with us, and there will be no evil, no suffering. That's the first thing that, that God does. The second thing that he does is... It's the, the suffering that is in the world, and he wields it for his good purpose. And that's what we can see in the book of Job. The book of Job is kind of all about this. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Job. And the whole point of the book of Job is to show us that God is ultimately in control of everything, even our suffering. And he's saying to us in our suffering, you've got to trust me. The point of the book of Job is not suffering, actually. The point of the book of Job is, will we trust God when suffering happens? And the scary thing about the book of Job is Job never finds out why he's suffering. 
He never does. And it's similar to you and I. There are so many times in life when we don't know why we're going through what we're going through. And God is saying, you may never know, but one thing you've got to do is you've got to trust me. Now, I had a, a really great video illustration I was going to use, but it's kind of didn't work. You know how technology is. It never works when you want it to. Uh, that's, we're going to see the devil in the story, and the devil was also here in technology. Uh, but there's a movie that I love. It's, it's, it's an old movie. It's called The Mighty Ducks. Has anybody ever seen it? The Mighty Ducks. Okay. It's a Disney movie. Who likes Disney movies? Okay, it's a Disney movie. It's not animated. It's a live action film about an ice hockey team that really suck. And then the coach kind of brings them. Now you've seen it. There we go. Great. And, and, and he brings them back into being really awesome. Okay. And during the, during the movie, they have this guy who's a goalkeeper, ice hockey, and he's afraid of pucks. You can't be a goalkeeper and be afraid of a puck. And now the coach, who, who is actually a really good coach, is in control of everything, the entire coaching thing. He realizes that this goalkeeper called Goldberg, which is the term to call him. <laughs> so Goldberg is afraid of pucks. And so the, the coach realizes the only way that I can get this guy to not be afraid of pucks is to tie him to goalposts and to let him realize that pucks actually aren't sore. So he ties him with his full kit to these goalposts and you hear this kid going, what have I ever done to you? Like, why are you doing this to me? And then the, the rest of the team line up in front of the goals with him tied to it and they all have like just tons of pucks on the ice and they're just whacking it at him. And at the start, he's like, no, but then as it continues, he suddenly starts laughing because he realizes it's not sore. And then he starts moving towards them, like, come on, hit me with your best shot. Don't start singing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so he gets hit with all these packs. Then at the end, he goes, I Goldberg, the goalie! And he gets, like, all excited. And the two things that Goldberg learns in that moment is... The, the smaller thing he actually learns is that he can actually take on these packs. They're not sore. So you can be a better goal good. That's the first thing. But the bigger thing that he actually learns is that he can trust his coach. He actually knows what he's talking about. And that is kind of what the book of Job is. Is the book of Job is there to, to, to show us that in suffering, we've got to cling to God. We've got to trust God. We, we won't always know what he's doing, but we've got to trust him. So now let's quickly look at chapter one. I don't have time to do everything. But if you've got it in front of you, bring it, bring it on. In fact, let me put it on my phone here as well. So, chapter one. Here's the main point of chapter one. So, if you forget everything, here's the main point. The book, the chapter one is, chapter one gives us the right perspective that we should have on suffering. Okay. If you get the perspective that Job is showing here, then it will really help you when you are suffering. So let's get into it. Verse 1 starts off by telling us that Job is this completely righteous man. And it follows with verse 2, which tells you how wealthy and blessed Job is. Now, Job, does the, the, Job appears almost perfect if you look at verse 1. In fact, it says that he's blameless and he fears the Lord. So it doesn't mean he was sinless. It just meant that chances are Job would pretty much daily sacrifice animals to the Lord. So in the Old Testament times, if you uh, knew you had sinned or you had done wrong against the Lord to ask for his forgiveness, you would sacrifice an animal. Okay. So Job probably wasn't perfect, 
he just sacrificed quite often, and so he was blameless uh, in, the eye, in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. Second thing is it says he feared the Lord. This doesn't mean he was completely freaked out by God. The fear, when, you, when the Bible talks about fearing the Lord, it's kind of a similar thing that you have with your parents, where you don't freak out the moment you your parents. You don't run and cower, but you run and cower when you know you've done something wrong, right? So you, you, you get freaked out by your parents when you know you've crossed the line. That's the same kind of fear we have for the Lord. We don't get freaked out by him, but we, but we fear what he can do if we go over that line. Does that make sense? And so Job fears the Lord. He knows that God is powerful, and so he chooses to live a righteous life. But he loves his relationship with the Lord because he knows what the Lord is like. He knows the good side as well as, as, well as the, not the bad side, but as well as the judgment side. Okay. Now, if you were a Jewish person and you read verse 1 and you saw how blessed uh, Job, how, how righteous Job was, you would actually, in your mind, you could actually assume that what the author is going to talk about next is how blessed Job is. Because if you were an Old Testament reader, you would probably know passages like Psalm 1, Deuteronomy 27, or Proverbs 12, which talk about how if you are a righteous person, you're blessed by the Lord. And if you are an unrighteous person, or if you're not a good person, you're punished, you're judged. And so the reader would automatically go, okay, I bet you the author is probably going to talk about how this guy is. And they're right, because if you look uh, in verse 2 and 3, it talks about how blessed he is. It says he's got many children. In those days, lots of children was a It's kind of akin to having great cars. Now, people often go, if you've got really, like, lots of really fancy cars, you're really blessed. That was if you had lots of children, you were really blessed. So in those days, children were seen as a blessing. It also tells us he's got lots of livestock, which means he was wealthy. So a lot of animals meant that you had, like, it was a sign of wealth, monetary wealth. And he had lots of servants as well. And in fact, verse 3 is great. It sums it up. It basically just says that there was no greater man in the East than Job. Doesn't mean he was a great man like Nelson Mandela or Mahatma Gandhi or people like that. He was great, kind of like Bill Gates, in that he was powerful. He was wealthy. Okay. He was a great man. He was basically rich friends. <laughs> so the story continues and tells us that not only is he blessed, but, but verse 4 says that his family is blessed as well. So every it talks about the fact that his family has a lot of food. So they're feasting. Now, if you look through the Old Testament and you see every time feasting comes up, it's usually linked with blessing because feast implies lots of food. So if people have lots of food, it means that they're blessed. And so he's saying not only is Job blessed, but his whole family is blessed. And in verse 5, it gives us the reason why. It says that Job, after his family had these feasts, he would sacrifice. And it says that he sacrifices. Uh, let me get to the passage. And if, if at the end of uh, verse 5, there, it says that he sacrifices. And Job says, it may be, it may be that they've sinned. In other words, they might be the most godliest parties, but if they did just one thing wrong, well, I just want to make sacrifice on their behalf, just in case. And the reason Job does this is because he, in his mind, this is how God works. If you do good, you get blessed. And if you do bad, you get punished. 
And so he's like, I want to keep this blessed life that they've got going here. So let me keep sacrificing for them. Now we move to the next scene. And now you've got this conversation between Satan and God. And what's going to happen is this whole thinking of being blessed and for doing good things and being punished. In other words, only ever receiving suffering for doing bad is going to get flipped on its head. And Job's whole world is going to get tossed upside down. So let's look at this conversation. So God and Satan walks in to the heavenly realms. So just, just to cover it, I'm going to do like Uncle Martin does. I'm going to have a quick side road. Most people tend to think of Satan and God as being completely equal in power. And it's Satan versus God. And there's this continual battle throughout life between Satan and God as to who's winning people for themselves. Not like that at all. God has complete control of everything. That includes Satan. In fact, Satan, if a good illustration is actually like Satan is just like a dog on God's leash. And you and I can be so thankful that that is actually like that. Because if Satan had to be let go, run wild, there would be far more suffering in the world. The fact that actually God had Satan on a leash means that it's less. So if you're ever getting angry at God for the amount of suffering that you have, just think of this. It could be worse. You actually don't know how much God is actually holding back. Okay? So that's a side road. So Satan comes into the meeting, and you can clearly see in this whole scene, God is in complete control of the scene. So Satan and God are talking, and God says, look at this guy. Look at Job. Look how good he is. There's no one who fears me or is godly as this guy in the world. Satan, Satan is really clever. This is another side road. Satan's not stupid. Many of us tend to think that Satan, we can just, you know, he's just this guy. We don't have to worry too much about him. Satan has been around since the beginning of the world. He has learned a lot over the thousands of years that he is. In terms of life experience, he has way better than us. Satan's not stupid. And you can see in the situation that Satan has not done. He says, he says, to, he says to God, he says, how do you know that Job really is a good person? How do you know that Job's heart is really for you, God? Or is Job's heart for the things that you give him? Because Satan, if you look early on in the passage, it says that Satan had been roaming the earth. It didn't, he didn't just go, go for a stroll. Satan has walked back and forth and back and forth because Satan is so looking for some catch up. And he, because he's been walking and walking, he really knows what's going on. He's analyzed everything. And he knows this guy, Job, and he's seen him probably multiple times as he's walked back and forth. And he sees Job and he goes, every single time Job does something good, he gets blessed for it. So is Job going, I'm only doing this for the money? I'm only because I get paid at the end. I get blessed. I get given stuff. And so Satan is like, God, how do you actually know that he's doing this for you? Or is he doing this just because he gets blessed? It's a good question, right? It's a good question. Satan is actually challenging God and he's saying, where is Job's heart really? And so Satan does something really wise. He says, okay, if you want to test how godly this guy is, Take away the blessings. Take away the benefits. Will he still be doing this when he doesn't get paid at the end of the day? Will he do this? Because this is where his heart is at. And it's a good challenge. 
And so God says yes. God allows this to happen. Now, this is a hard bit for us because we tend to think like the people before this whole sentence happens. We tend to think like the people from Deuteronomy 28 or from Psalm 2 or from Proverbs 12. We tend to think God only lets the good people, he blesses the good people and he lets he punishes those who are evil. And now he's letting a completely good person suffer. But what does Romans 8 tell us? God works all things for the good of those who love him. So we don't know exactly why Job's going to go through the suffering just yet. We know that it's something he wants to prove to Satan something. But how, what good is it going to do, Job? We don't know just yet. But we have to trust that he's doing it for his good. And that's the hard bit. When you don't know why you're suffering and you know you're about to go through the worst thing in your life, you don't know why, but you've got to trust that Romans 8 is correct. Look at what Job does. So this is the last bit coming to the end. The suffering happens, and it's crazy, right? You guys went through that in your small groups. It is crazy. I mean, not only does he lose everything that he owns, but just think about this. His entire family is crushed. Aside from his wife, he loses his entire family. And unlike us, our suffering happens over time. This happens in a day. And you add to that the fact that his whole thinking about God, his entire worldview is completely thrown upside down because God, this thing shouldn't happen to him. He safeguarded himself, right? He's been sacrificing every day to this God so that he doesn't have to suffer like this. And now his whole world gets thrown upside down. I don't think any of us ever experienced this kind of suffering in our lives, ever. But I want you to see his answer. And this blew my mind as I was reading this. This absolutely blew my mind. If this verse can be written on your door somewhere so that you can be reminded of it when you are suffering through the worst things. He says this, verse 21. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is he on crack that he says something like that? Is he stupid? He's been hit in the head with a rock? Who says that when you've gone through that kind of suffering? Are you dumb? No. You see, most of us, when we get angry at God and we're suffering, it's because God has taken something good from us and we believe we are worthy of that good thing. God says anything good in your life was actually given to you as a gift in the first place. Have you ever thought like that? And it's hard to think like that because often what gets taken from us is people. But we came into this world naked. Everything good that we have is because that good God that took a slight step back did not take a full step back. Everything that you receive that is good in life is because God is good. He's given it to you as a gift. But because he is God, he can actually take that good thing away from us as well. This is why I said in the beginning, this gives us perspective. 
We never ever look at our suffering. We just go, you've taken a good thing away from me. Why have you done that? Remember the challenge that Job had from Satan? Satan said to God, if you give these blessings away, Job will curse you, you to your face. That is what you and I do. When something good is taken away from us, we're like, why? And cursing God means that you say to, some, say to him something that is, that is not worthy of his name. In other words, you say, you are not good, but his name is worthy. You say to him, you are evil, but he is not an evil God. He's a good God. You say to him, he doesn't care, but he is a loving God. And those are the things that we should but look at what Job does. He does the complete opposite of cursing God. He blesses God. He says, blessed be your name. Guys, if we could leave here today and we could suffer like this, how incredible would we be? This is how you suffer for I want to finish up with one last quick thing. I love my wife and my child, all my heart. And I can't fathom the day if they are to be taken. How, how difficult would that be? That's what Job is going through. I hope if that happens, I will look at God and I'll say, you are a good God. I hope that I can say to the Lord, blessed be your name. I have hope that I came into the world naked. But blessed be your name. That is a powerful reverse. And I'm going to leave you with that. And actually what we're going to do now is we're going to sing the song. You guys know, blessed be your name. Because that, is, that song is actually written based on this passage. And so I hope now you can sing it with your hearts. With all your hearts. Let me, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, naked we came into this world and naked we will leave. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be your name. Father, I pray that that verse is printed on our hearts. I pray that in the midst of the struggle, we will still say, blessed be your name. I pray that we trust you when suffering happens, that even though we cannot see the Pray, Lord, that we'll cling to you. I pray this one in your name. Amen. All right, Jared, I don't know how much time you have. You may just have time for one song. Yeah, we'll start with that. So, start with that. Let's see how we go. Yes.